Welcome back to The Money Barrel. We hope everyone enjoyed our NFR round winner interviews brought to us by the teams at Barrel Racing Magazine and The Royal Crown. Last week, we released a Patreon-exclusive episode featuring one of our most requested guests, Samantha Winslow-Holmes of the Performance Horse Academy. If you haven't signed up yet, go to www.patreon.com slash themoneybarrel and you can sign up for the cost of a single exhibition a month to get access to all past and future exclusive content. This episode is brought to you by BarrelRacing.com. BarrelRacing.com offers beginning to advanced barrel racing instructions from the most respected voices in the industry, all from the convenience of your device. Up your game by utilizing the knowledge and experience of legendary trainers and top competitors, including world champion Jordan Briggs, Kelly Yates, Shaylee Lord, and fraternity trainer Andre Quelo, and more. Join now using promo code MONEYBARREL15 for 15% off your membership. That's MONEYBARREL15 to receive 15% off your membership on BarrelRacing.com today. This week's episode is a great conversation with Paige Jones. Not only is Paige the youngest competitor to ever win the BFA Futurity at 16 with her outstanding horse, High Cotton Lane, but she went on to win the 2020 WPRA Rookie of the Year title with him as well. We talked about the highs and lows of training and seasoning to the professional ranks and her path to her success. Hope you enjoy and happy holidays. All right, Paige, you're in the hot seat. This is The Money Barrel. Really excited today to have Paige Jones on because I feel like you have really experienced in the last couple years, I mean, like you've taken a horse from training to winning at the highest levels. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, For those that may not know, tell us a little bit about, about yourself and the horses that you have right now. I'm sure everybody knows Cotton, but tell us a little bit more. Yeah, um, well, I was born in Kansas, and we had about 12,000 acres up there, and then I moved to Oklahoma in around 08, just because the location was a little more ideal for training and what we wanted to do, but yeah, I have Cotton, he's seven this year, coming eight, and then I have Famous Heyday, who I call Bazinga, he's nine, I bought him off Janae Massey whenever he was around five, and then... I have a, another good by Lane coming up out of a Chicks with Wiener mare and then just a couple younger ones. Not too many to ride. <laughs> Not too many. Uh, I mean, it sounds like it keeps you plenty busy. Yes, it does. <laughs> are you currently in school um, or are you rodeoing full time? Yeah, I, I enrolled in college this year. But after this semester, I think I'm just going to finish it and then just mainly stick to rodeoing. It was just hard to be up there for practice and stuff and go to the college rodeos and everything with between the fraternities and the rodeos I go to, and I mainly just wanted to stick to that. So tell us a little bit about how you grew up. I guess we probably could have started there first, but um, how you got into horses and into the barrel racing world. Yeah, uh, when I was around three, my parents bought me a pony that I could just kind of mess around with. He didn't ride at the time, but my older sister, she's nine years older, she uh, decided she wanted to train him on the barrels and poles. And so she got him riding pretty good, and then I was able to take him to some of the junior rodeos and run barrels and poles on him. And then when we moved down here, I bought a couple bigger horses that were a lot nicer and my sister and my mom have mainly been the ones to teach me how to ride. Like, whenever I have a question, I always have them, like, 
come watch my videos or watch me out in the arena and just they help me out a lot so you've been around it pretty much your whole life yeah my sister she has always done it and she didn't do it real competitively until we moved down here I mean we went to junior rodeos and everything up there but it was hard to find a jackpot within two hours of the house you know maybe once a week down here I mean within 30 miles and sometimes even 10 you can about find a jackpot every night yeah, that makes life a lot easier when you're trying to haul young ones and everything. Yes, it does. So, um, when you, you know, are, are younger in junior rodeoing and high school rodeoing, did you do other events as well, or did you guys just train all your own horses? It always interests me when people do, you know, multiple things or have, you know, multiple siblings that they have to keep mounted, um, just the type of horses that you have to keep around for that. Yeah, well, I think it was good for my parents that me and my sister were nine years apart because my mom spent most of the time hauling Siri around until she was out of high school. And then about a couple years after she was out of high school, I ended up in sixth grade. And so we started junior high rodeoing back over again. Yeah, me and my sister, we did barrels, poles, goats, breakaway in junior high. And then when we got to high school, she team rode, which I never did. And then we cut a little bit got a guy down the road that helped us so I think cutting is a lot of fun because it really makes you sit and I think it like challenges your skills a little bit and then helps you out in the like when you ride your barrel horses too we've had a lot of guests on the podcast that have said the same thing that like riding cutting and rainer horses and with other trainers is only like really helped excel their barrel racing training yes it does when you were doing that many events, was barrel racing your favorite? Or, I mean, a lot of girls are like, no, I prefer to rope, but barrel racing just happens to take me further. Yeah, I actually just sold my rope horse earlier this year. I kind of kept him around just because breakaway was, you know, coming up big and there were so many more places to go and money added. But I kind of sold him to buy another barrel horse. I just didn't... I just loved barrel racing so much more that I didn't really spend much time on my breakaway horse, and I figured someone else could do a lot more with him, and so I just took that money and bought another barrel horse that hopefully make, helps me make the finals. So let's get into the story about Cotton, um, High Cotton Lane, for those that may not know him. Um, he has been a real standout the past couple of years, and I always like seeing the ads from was it the heritage place sale that says like he was sold for you know like six thousand dollars or something as a yearling I don't know if you guys bought him from the heritage sale but um I remember seeing his name on there so tell us a little bit about how cotton came into your life yeah my sister was breeding her good mare my mom just happened to take her over to get checked um little early fall probably 2015 and she walked past the stall kind of caught her eye and so she asked the vet she was like what horse is this and they're like oh we're just getting him ready for the heritage place sale coming up so my mom came home and told me about him well I was 13 I went over there I looked at him but I didn't know what to look for in a horse so I thought he was pretty thought we should buy him and I had actually just sold my pony and I had a little bit of money from it but I didn't know how much cotton was going to go for so I brought my dad along to help me out and uh, we went to the Heritage Place sale, and my dad always kind of, like, bid secretly. And so he was messing with me and said that whenever they said sold, that we didn't get him. And he was like, I was just kidding. 
and we <laughs> bought him for 6500 as a yearling, and he was a stud, but he was... He's a lot as a gilding. I couldn't imagine having him as a stud. So the minute we got home, we cut him. Probably a smart choice. I mean, obviously, people would be like, oh, I'd love to breed to him now. But, yeah, he may not have turned out if he was that wild. Yeah, he's a handful right now. I, like I said, I couldn't imagine being a stud. So was he one of the first ones that you really were, Did I guess I should say, did you start him and train him? Or how did you get him going? Yeah, so he would have been coming to um, the next year, and that's about the time we sent our horses to get broke and sent him to a guy for a couple months. And then when we got back, I think I my my training is maybe ride him a couple weeks and then maybe turn him out for a month and then get back on him again. And so I uh, did that a little bit off and on, and then I finally started hauling him a little bit when he turned three. and. He was a little bit behind coming his fraternity year, so I wasn't expecting a whole lot, and it was my first horse that I kind of trained. And so I entered him in the fraternity at Patriot, and he went, it went decent, and then I didn't haul him much until later that year. Did you haul him just to the fraternities, or since you were still you know, in the high school rodeos and stuff, did you haul him to some of those events? Yeah, I rode him at a couple high schools that weren't more of my – vein horse Bazinga at the time like weren't really his setup and Cotton I mean I mean, he placed there and I was really happy with him I took him to a few barrel races but we have never really gone to a lot of fraternities until just a few years ago and I still don't go to very many that's more of my sister's deal and so I think Doxa was the first like or I guess the second fraternity I took him to in August and he won that didn't he yeah, so the first day, he made a decent run, wasn't bad, it was a little wild, and then the second day, he had an amazing run and exceeded my expectations, and we ended up having the fast time and winning the trailer, um, and then they had a little slot race deal that um, the fraternity horses used paid, and it was your fastest run, and he ended up winning that also. What, what did you know I guess or did you feel like before that that you had a horse of that caliber or was it was that kind of the turning point like oh dang I might really have something here um yeah I mean he was working really good and then I'd say whenever like he really started um to amaze me was about a month after dog so we took him down to NRS just to a um, little jackpot on the weekend and he ended up setting a new arena record and added a bunch of money to his earnings. And some lady came up to us and was like, uh, do you have him entered in BFA, right? And we were like, no. And well, we got home that Sunday night and Monday, we looked up how much it was going to cost to enter him with all the late fees and everything. And that's when we decided to enter him in the BFA. Oh, wow. Like, so that had to have been, I mean, Docs is in August. So like, you must have been right down to the deadline to even enter. Yeah, it was. I think I entered him late September, and it was early December. There you go. And that was the first year of the pink buckle, right? Like, I just feel like I remember just seeing his name. You know, I didn't know his story before that, but, like, seeing his name all fall in some races before the BFA. Yes, that was the first year of the pink buckle also, which is an amazing event. And 
we are blessed to have it in the barrel racing industry and I guess now they're adding breakaway rope in so it's just helping out everybody so when you know you haven't really fraternityed a lot but all of a sudden these events come out that pay you know just ridiculous amounts of money did was it nerve-wracking knowing that you had a horse that caliber or was it still just kind of like you know it's just just cotton we're just trying to go make some runs yeah I think I was young enough that I didn't get too worked up over like whenever there was like a big rail race or something or something that was like uh <laughs> I don't know how to say it but uh I think I was just out there having fun and just I mean, if I won, I won. If I didn't, I didn't. But I was, he really made winning a lot of fun, and he's a lot of fun to ride, so. He he sure looks like it. And then talk talk to us about the BFA, because that was kind of like a fairy tale type of thing in, in itself. Yes, I showed up there, and it was my first time at BFA, and just looking at all the competition around me, it was very intimidating. I wasn't... I mean, I hoped for a lot of my horse, and I knew he had a chance to win it, but I was just hoping we went out there and made two good runs. If we made the finals, we made it, you know. And the first round, we ran a seven. It was kind of wild. I think I was trying to go way too fast. (laughs) And then the second round, uh, he had an amazing run, and we ended up running a three and ended up second in the round. I think we came back to the finals, like top three fastest. And then um, it was the night of the finals, and I ended up being within, like, the last couple drags, which I like because I like to know kind of what I have to be. And my sister came out there, and she was like, all right, you know, good luck. But she's like, there's a lot of competition, you know, like, don't get mad, you know, if you don't win it. And so I went out there, and he ended up running another three. And so I had to wait out, like, the last seven horses. And there were still two really good horses that could outrun me. And I wasn't really paying attention because my horse was all worked up. And my sister came out there and she was like, you want it? And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. So we had to hurry up and get the saddle off of him. And we had to borrow a halter from someone to take pictures. And we went down there. And if you've ever been around Cotton, he's a little bit of a handful. (laughs) And so I think it took us like a good 20 minutes to get the picture taken. And I don't think the photographer was very well impressed. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Um, I mean, when did it kind of sink in that, like, you won the BFA? And weren't you, correct me if I'm wrong, but the youngest rider to ever win the BFA? Yes, I was 16. And were you like, we just won another race? Or were people like, what? what, Where did this girl come from on this (laughs) four-year-old? I think I, I think it really hit me kind of, like a little bit after Christmas and I was making a post about his like fraternity year and I think it just amazed me and I think it hit me then like the kind of horse Cotton was and how hard he tries and he's one of the fastest horses I've ever rode and it's amazing how fast he can run into a barrel and just set drop and turn and then how fast he leaves it and I think it took me a couple weeks to hit because it was one of the bigger, like, the first bigger things I had won. But once it hit, I think I cried a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure I would, too. And that's no joke. If if our listeners haven't listened or haven't seen any runs of Cottons, you should look them up. Because it is crazy. Like, he runs so fast. And then all of a sudden, it's like a swap in direction. 
he's so cool to watch. He's a lot of fun to ride. Going into the Derby year, um, 2019, did you, I'm sure you got offers to buy him after the BFA and after Ollie won. Did you know that you wanted to start rodeoing with him or, you know, keep a horse like that? Or, you know, did you contemplate selling him? Or did you know that going after Rookie of the Year was like kind of going to be one of your goals? Yeah, I mean, growing up, I've always wanted to make the finals, and I had a really nice horse. He was a little bit older. I was around 12, and we ended up having to put him down, but he was another kind of, like, caliber that I think could have helped make the finals, and so I know they didn't come along um, very much, and so every time someone would text me about buying him, I'd be like, nope, sorry, I'm keeping him. Like, I never once thought twice about it, just because he's the kind of horse that can – open a lot of doors for me and give me a lot of opportunities and make all my dreams come true and he ha- he holds a very special place in my heart and I could never sell him <laughs> he's he's on the good path he's on the path to get that done <laughs> yes um you know some say like their derby year is almost their tougher year because it's like they think they know what they're doing now they don't need your help as a jockey and you know some really good fraternity horses kind of hit a block and you have to get through them did you ever struggle with that his, you know, 2019 year? Were there any points where you had to, you know, help him get over some obstacles? Or has he just stayed solid? He stayed pretty solid. I mean, there's a couple things. Like, sometimes running into the first barrel, he'll, like, drop his shoulder a little bit. But he's very willing to learn. And so I would just go out to the arena the next day. and Or if I, there was an exhibition somewhere... I would just stop him a little bit and pick his shoulder up. And then, I mean, he kind of corrects himself. And most of the time, if something goes wrong in his run, I can't blame him. It's for sure the jockey. But he stayed pretty solid. And I don't ever really remember a time that he kind of thought he knew more. (laughs) Did you take him to any, like, amateur rodeos or junior rodeos that year to season him a little bit? Or was 2020 his first introduction to rodeos? I, we have um, a few open rodeos around my house that we'll go to, I did go to during the summer, but now that I have my card, I don't really get to go to very many. Uh, I took him to them and just kind of, you know, let him see the crowds and I didn't run him in very many outdoors until probably his derby year because I knew the next year he was going to be running in a lot of outdoors and I tried to just save a lot of his runs his derby year because I knew you know, I didn't know COVID was going to hit and all the rodeos were going to be canceled. So I was thinking there was probably going to be a lot of runs on him in 2020. So I didn't run him very much. I ran him at Diamond's Dirt and he ended up winning it. And just a few others. I think I ran him at BFA that year also. And he slipped almost every run going into the first barrel. And so I didn't end up running in BFA last year just because I, he had already had so many runs, and I was just trying to save him for the winter rodeos. Smart. When you went into your rookie year, I mean, we always have questions about how, you know, people start get, getting into pro rodeos and planning for it. Um, so I guess kind of walk us through, you know, when you bought your card and how you approached your rookie year. Yeah, well, I wasn't – my birthday's in December, and so – I mean, a couple months wasn't that bad, but I had to wait a couple months to be able to buy my permit. And then there was a barrel race in Stephenville in January, 
and I went down there and filled my permit that weekend and bought my card. But I think the first places I really went to was I went to Los Fresnos and a San Antonio qualifier, and then there was another one down there somewhere I went to. Yeah, and then I guess we shut down right then, right? Yeah, and then, well, and it was kind of a blessing that it did because, so when I went down there, I just, Cotton has never tried it barrels. He's a super honest horse, and he started kind of, he was running past the first barrel and kind of dropping his shoulder on the other two, and I was like, okay, like, this is not my horse. Something's wrong, and the last time I ran him, he came out, and he kind of made a weird noise, and it was almost like he couldn't breathe, so I came back home, and I took him to the vet, and this would have been early February, and he had blisters kind of inside of his nose and we had to do a lot of treatments on him and so the semifinals came around and for his health I he needed a home he needed another week off and so I ran my other horse and then that's about around the time that it shut down and so it gave Cotton the break he needed and time to heal before I had to leave for the summer you know, I think that is, I, I love hearing stories like that. Not that anything happened, but, you know, a lot of people may not think when a horse is running by or, you know, maybe not acting right that, like, something could be wrong, per se, especially, like, breathing, you know, that you'd want to get on them and tune on them and stuff, but you knew your horse well enough to know that that wasn't the case and, you know, tuning on them probably would have been a really bad idea. Yeah, and Tom has just... He loves his job so much. And, like, <laughs> trying to warm him up. Like, you can't really warm him up. He doesn't really lope a circle. And I've tried and tried and tried to get him to lope a circle. And he just won't. And so I just kind of let him do it. And, I mean, as long as he's working and listening to me whenever I ask him to, I kind of just let him play around out back and let him do what he wants. But I knew whenever he wasn't working, he's never not wanted to work. Or never not ran as hard as he could every single run. So I knew something had to be wrong. Tell us a little bit about how you do warm up, though. Because I think I saw a comment on Facebook the other day. It was Emily Bysol that was like, he scared Chongo. (laughs) I had to leave the arena because... So he must have some antics when you're warming him up. Oh, yes. So I know a lot of barrel racers, you know, they'll go warm up and just kind of like ease around and most of the time like they don't have their sport boots on they're not cinched up you know they get on 45 minutes before they run sometimes just you know make sure their horse is good and warmed up well mine you have to make sure he's cinched up and your bridle and everything is set the way you need it and all of his boots are on because once the minute you get on him if you get back off of it you're probably not going to get back on him (laughs) and uh i usually don't get on very long before my run just because he wears himself out because, I mean, you can walk sometimes, but most of the time he picks a certain place in the warm-up pen and he will walk or trot perfectly fine all the way around the circle until you get back to that point. And then he just runs sideways in just every direction and spins circles. So I'm, I can't get on him very early, but normally right before I run, I'll stop in and back him up a couple times and like do some rollbacks just to make sure he's listening to me but I don't do too much before I go in the arena is he like that to ride at home or does he just know when you're at a place that like it's ready to do his job oh no it's 24 7 oh okay (laughs) yeah when in the arena in the 
indoor, it's on the, when you come in the gate and you're going around to the left side, it's on that wall. And then when you go to the other way, it's on the other wall. Like he picks a certain spot, no matter which direction or what arena you're in. And he will trot perfectly and then just blow up and run sideways and backwards. But no, it's indoors, outdoors, warm up pins at home or away from home. He, he has, he has his special moments and I'm probably about the only one that could put up with it. <laughs> yeah. And so like, how did you, I guess, train him to pattern? Because I know that kind can be really difficult and had you have focused on that and try to get it out of him, like you very well could have blown him up, ruined his desire to do anything with you, but it kind of sounds like you just work with it and he's, he's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, we broke him when he was two, and I remember riding in his two-year-old year and his three-year-old year, and, like, so laid back. Like, when you could barely get him to trot or do anything, like, just hang his head low, and, like, wouldn't, he was just a very laid-back horse. And then, beginning of his fraternity year, same thing. I remember running him at Patriot, and he was still super chill in the warm-up pen would listen to everything you wanted him to do and whatever. And then the first time I really remember him doing it was at Doxa. And we're in the warm-up pen, and Pete Owen actually comes up to my sister, and he's like, does your sister know she's loping in the wrong lead? And Siri kind of laughed and was like, yeah, she does. <laughs> she was like, she can't get her horse to lope a circle. And so and then he ended up winning then. I think that was – the first time I ever remember him warming up like that and was the first braille race he really won. So, and I've tried, like, later that year I tried. I would lope and lope and lope circles at home just to try to get him, you know, like, calm down. And he still wouldn't. And so he's a little sensitive. And one week I really tried to get him just to lope a circle. And then that weekend he didn't work. And so, you know what? Fine. He can just do whatever he wants. <laughs> Give it up. He'll go win. Just make him happy. I love that. Um, So I guess back to the rodeos after COVID happened and you started going. I mean, how did you how did you approach rodeoing over the summer, considering it was the first time going down the road? Did you have anybody with you or helping like mentor you or enter you? How did you kind of figure out where to go? Yes, I called Kylie Weiss and try to get her mom to enter me because I knew she did a really good job. But Kylie, I think, was pregnant at the time, and her mom didn't want to be, you know, worried about the baby and, you know, miss entering me in some rodeos. So she sent me to um, Alicia Stockton Bird now. And so Alicia has entered me the last couple years. And then right before the fourth run, I was like, this could be too much driving for me. And so I was trying to find someone to go with me. And so it was like, well, just find someone who's going to each rodeo and see if you can follow them or maybe hop in with them for a couple of days. So I looked on everywhere I was entered and Abby Percival was entered almost everywhere I was. And it just happened. Her trailer had just broke down and I had just gotten into Prescott and it was the same night that she was up. So it worked out and we ended up going together. And she's been out rodeoing, you know, for multiple years. And so she was able to help me, you know, kind of the arenas, some places you couldn't stay at or didn't have very good parking. And so she helped me a lot out there. Did you guys know each other beforehand or like did it just work out that 
it's like, hey, hey we're up together. Want to be friends? <laughs> yeah, no, I had, like, seen her around at some of the barrel races. My sister knew her a little bit, I think. And so I asked Siri about her first before I ended up calling her. And she was like, oh, yeah, no, call her. She's cool. And so, no, I had never met her before in my life. And she showed up to my house the day before we had to leave. And we left together for two or three weeks. <laughs> there you go. That's one way to get to know each other. That's awesome. Yes. How did you plan your run over the 4th? Um, and, you know, just kind of walk us through the rest of your year. Well, I let Alicia handle all the internet. I'm like, I have no clue. And I'm a big procrastinator. And so I was like, I'm going to miss all the books and not get entered in a single rodeo. I was like, you handle it. And Alicia is really good at entering. And she's been out there before. And so she knew, you know, kind of where to go and how to enter. And then we went there, and COVID was a lot different from this year because, you know, you were gone for two or three weeks, and then you'd be home for a week or two, and then be gone again. Where this year, we left in June, and I didn't get back till late August. And then, I mean, there was a few rodeos, but last year, you had to drive so far because so many were canceled. I think we went to Prescott, and then we went to uh, Oakley, Utah, and that was about 10 hours. And then we had to be up at um, Belfouche the next morning. That was another 10 hours. And then I think it was 8 or 9 back to Cody that night. And then back to Mandan the next morning. So they were so far apart. And we had to, like, backtrack a few times. Where this year, there were so many. You could find your group of rodeos that you wanted to go to. And they're all within an hour, at least four hours. So that made it a lot easier this year. And then I... There was, I didn't ever look at the email actually, or I don't even know if I got it, but the rookie people were eligible to take a second rookie year because of everything that was going on. But my horse was working good and I was kind of up there in the standings. So I just decided to keep my rookie year and try to make the finals. And, but I ended up around 34th, I think, and made it to the winter rodeos. And then they canceled all of them. So. <laughs> Yeah, the the never-ending gift of COVID. Yeah. And all the cancellations. Um, So what, were there any parts that were, like, really, really good while you were out there and then some days that you were just like, this is dumb, I want to go home? I don't mind the driving, but when you're about on your fourth or fifth straight day of driving all day and all night, I think that is whenever it got a little tough because we were both tired. I think on the end of our fourth run in 2020, we were headed to from Cody that night, and I think it was our fourth day, and we were headed to Mandan that morning, North Dakota, or South Dakota, one of the two, I can't remember. I've been to so many places. <laughs> and we, me and Abby, I think we switched five or six times. In the last hour, I was passed out of sleep, didn't even realize she had stopped, and she said she got out a couple times and ran around the truck and trailer and then the last 30 minutes, she had the window rolled down because it was really cool morning and had her head hanging out trying to stay awake. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the real life of rodeo. People think rodeo is glamorous. It is not that glamorous. No, it's a lot of driving. And there's a lot of times we would drive 10 or 12 hours to a rodeo and it would start pouring down rain and we'd have to turn out and then just drive to the next one. And you don't get to eat much. And when you do, it's gas station food. <laughs> Yeah, that that is true. 
Did you... That rodeo is not for the week. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, what were some of, I guess, your big successes when you were on the road? Or what, what were some of the favorite places that you went? Uh, so, around my house, before I ever, you know, bought my card, we kind of go to the same arenas a lot. So, I kind of had them down. I knew how my horses worked everywhere out there. But when I first left for the summer... You know, all new arenas. I didn't know what the ground was going to be like. I think that was a huge struggle to meet, try to get me and my horse adjusted to each setup, each place we went. So the beginning of the fourth run, the fourth run was rough. Uh, Prescott did not go well, and then I had to draw to Oakley because I was not up the same night. We couldn't make it work. And then at Bell Fish that morning, I went on the wrong side of the first barrel. And I had to, I think I walked out of the arena. And then we were up at Cody that night. And I've always heard before I ever got out there on the road, you know, like short-term memory. That's what you need. So, like, that night I had to forget about Bell and how my fourth had gone. And I watched all my videos. And I was like, why am I riding cotton like this? I was like, this is not how I've ever rode in before. So I went into Cody and I just trusted that he was going to turn the first barrel. And we ended up winning Cody. And I'd say... Cody is probably at the top of my list of success. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a huge rodeo to win anyways, let alone coming off of, like, a really hard couple days. Yes. So you ended up the year winning the rookie race, um, and then, like you said, the winter rodeos got canceled. But did you change anything up this year? I mean, I guess this year would be a little bit different anyway, since pretty much all the rodeos were back. Yes, um, Alicia still entered me, and so I would just try to look up the, like, arenas and stuff on Facebook, and if there was a few, I would try to call people before I got there. That way I knew what horse I should run, because I have Bazinga. He does better, like, when the barrels are kind of, like, more far off the fence, and like when the ground's harder and then cotton's like your smaller setups or like when the ground's deep. But even though I went in 2020, there was a lot of those pins that we did not go back to in 2021. I mean, there was a few, but not that many. And so they were still all new arenas to me. I don't know how much I really changed. I just tried to trust my horse more. And if I thought he needed to break, I would, you know, draw out of a couple rodeos to give him, two or three days break before I went to the next ones because those were bigger rodeos. I don't think I changed much. I tried to ask more people, you know, what they did on the road to help them out. But that was about it. What do you do when you're out on the road and, you know, to try to keep them healthy and keep them sound? Do you use any, you know, therapies or anything like that? I have my Accelerate blankets that I keep on my horses when traveling and depending if we have a few days off I'll keep them on them like during the day but I try to like not put too much stuff on them at night that way they can you know lay down and stretch out and they don't have all this stuff on them in the trailers I wrap their legs with either back on track um boots or I have the DIO liniment that I'll put on and then put a cotton wrap over it and then a standing wrap I like that as well I just kind of try to change it up but I don't use too many therapy products. There's very few and far between that I actually believe in. Mm -hmm. But that's about it. 
Do you use any supplements or anything when you're, um, I guess, just normal in their diet or like pre-race stuff? We always have questions about, you know, the pre-race and post-race things that are given. Yes, I have MVP Exceed Six Way that I keep my horses on my all of my competition horses up like not so much of my younger horses i keep them on that all the time and then the ones that travel a lot i keep them on the gastroplex pellets and then before i run or like before i put them in the trailer for a long haul i'll give them the gastroplex paste and then always electrolytes whether it's powder or in the tubes i give them that after i run and then like if they're standing for a few days i try to keep them on that a bunch because when you put them in a trailer you can't always keep water in front of them i mean we stop every few hours to let them out but they need some electrolytes definitely yeah that's smart and i love the gastroplex paste um shout out mvp they're great uh but yeah the gastroplex paste i just I, i think that's such a awesome supplement to be able to use So when you started rodeoing and now that you're, you know, this year you were in the top 30, right? So you're going back, hopefully, to the winter rodeos. Hopefully we have them all back. Um, You know, how, what helped you get your mindset to that next level to be able to, you know, you, you went through the fraternity ranks and, you know, now you're hopping up into the pro rodeo ranks and now you're, you know, your goal is to make the finals. So what did you do to help keep, your mind right and strong for that not gonna lie there was a little bit this summer that I was just down a little bit because nothing was going right and um my the first of the year went so well and I was in the top 15 I did really good at San Antonio and the WPRA finals cardholder race and a few other rodeos and then when I left for the summer Cotton was kind of running past his first again and or we were hit, we hit barrels to win at some good rodeos and my other horse he was making really good runs just wasn't quite clocking and then I don't know I just nothing was going right and I was I try not to look at the standings but you can't help and I slowly watched myself fall and I just kept telling everybody I was like something's wrong with my horse and everyone we had multiple vets look at him and they were like nothing is wrong like you know so I finally started tuning on him a little bit and I think he just runs so hard and out there there's a lot of that ground that is super shifty he had to kind of like relearn how to stand up on that certain type of ground out there and so I tried to like slow him up a little bit and just go out there and make some consistent runs and then towards the end I really had to have my short-term memory (laughs) I had to forget about like all that just happened in the summer and try to just go out there and I started making a lot better runs and again, I hit a couple barrels to win some rodeos. And then I just still kept telling everybody, I was like, like, something's wrong with my horse. Well, the last two weeks that I was out there, I think it was beginning of September, or end of August, I <laughs> I ran a tire off my trailer and bent the spindle and messed up the bearing and messed up the axle. And thank goodness I had a triple axle and this happened in Oregon. We were headed to Utah. And so we went there. And then we had to go to Colorado because I was still trying to get my tour count in so I could go to the uh, tour finale. Well, we get to Denver and uh, I called Rodeo Riggs because I was 
um, playing on trading in trailers, and he was like, actually, I have a guy that is done with his trailer. Like, if you need it, you can pick it up. And so Courtney helped me out a lot. And so we were able to pick up this other trailer and head out back up north for the next week or week and a half. And my horse still wasn't working, and I was finally decided I was like, okay, like, this isn't him. Something's wrong, and I had to come home early. And so I think I was about 25th, and I was still only 10,000 out of the top 15. And so, like, it was doable, but I was tired. My horse was tired. I'd ruined my truck. My trailer was broke down. I was in my mom's truck, and the, nothing was working on it either. So I went home, and we ended up doing an MRI on Cotton, and he ended up having um, some bruises in his front feet. Nothing torn, nothing super injured, but just needs some time off to heal. So he should be back for some of the winter rodeos. And so hopefully next year he's going to come back even stronger. And I feel so bad for running him all summer. But he, I think it was just the last month or two that he started kind of getting sore. But it was, it was a tough summer. I, it was really hard to stay positive. But thank goodness I have a great support system behind me that helped me out and helped me stay positive. Yeah, I mean, that, again, I was just like, rodeo is not that glamorous, and it's hard when you're not home, and, you know, let alone your horse isn't working, your truck breaks down, your trailer breaks down, you're, I mean, just nothing goes right, um, I mean, and kudos to you to, you know, keep going back, and those MRIs are expensive, but shoot, sometimes you just gotta do it. Yeah, I just again kind of like beginning of 2020 i was like this is not cotton like he's made a few bad runs but never that many in a row or i don't know normally like he goes into the barrel and then leaves so strong that he'll like whiplash me and i just he lost that cool feeling on the backside, and i just kept telling everybody i was like like something's wrong we're missing something and so i'm just glad we found it and he's able to have plenty of time off this winter and I have Bazinga who can take his place while Cotton needs his break and hopefully he'll be back to some of the winter rodeos and then hopefully next summer goes a lot better. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. Um, What are you, I guess, for, for bruised feet and how much time do you have to give him off? What kind of treatment does is he called for right now? Well, <laughs> they said they've only really seen it in jumpers because they overextend so much and it's at the base of his pastern where it meets his coffin and cotton doesn't have very much heel so we took all of his shoes off and he's just getting turned out in like um a little sandy pin right now trying to get some heel to grow back and like his feet to get a little better and then i think when we get back um we're gonna try not to put wedges on him but there's not much therapy you can do for it since it's so deep in his foot that's why we never could find it that's why it, we needed an MRI um he thinks it just started a little bit and then just hauling so much and running on some of that ground you know just caused it to become inflamed so I think him having four months off I think it's three or four so he'll be back February 1st and I mainly just time off and let all that inflammation you know calm down but I've been calling some of my jumper friends, <laughs> trying to figure out if they've ever heard of it and how they prevented it from happening again. 
Well, you let me know what you find out. I'm very curious. Craig, don't listen to this, but I have a horse going in next week with foot issues, and I'm like, mm, I hope I don't have to get an MRI, but kind of thinking we're going to be on that path. Um, so I'm interested to see what you find out. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to head on over to BarrelRacing.com and use the code MONEYBARREL15 today for 15% off your subscription. Start 2022 off right by taking in knowledge and experience from some of the biggest and most successful names in the industry. Thanks to Paige for spending some time with us. Visit The Money Barrel on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon.com to let us know who you want to hear from next. All right, run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.